game. Blouses. You are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Eric Strahls. Eric is the organizer of the first VR hackathon in San Francisco and the world's first VR beach potluck. Um, Eric, what else have you been up to? Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Did I miss something there? Uh, I feel like you've been doing a lot of hustling lately. Uh, hey, yeah, this is Eric's. Um, so, yeah, one of the other things I wanted to mention is uh, my company, which is Immersio. So that's kind of what um, I focus on also outside of just kind of working on this the hackathon and um, doing kind of architectural visualization for virtual reality. That's my next focus. So Im- that's what Immer- Immersio is. Immersio is a architectural v- visualization uh, content creator, is that what it is? So that's our current focus, but we're also a consulting company and contractor for creating either virtual reality experiences or experiences using various other technology, like the Z-Space holographic interface and the uh, using the Kinect or Leap Motion also. So we've worked with all kinds of different like cool technology. Why, uh, why, why architectural visualizations? Is there something about that specific uh, section of the industry slash economy that uh, made you guys want to go in that direction? Yeah. Um, basically, I kind of was looking around at the market of architectural visualization, and I was kind of seeing some of the things that are out there right now. And um, because I have some experience with uh, Unreal, um, I figured... I hadn't seen too many companies utilizing the, the technology that's kind of out for visualizing things in a much better manner, like really high graphics quality. And um, I kind of saw the opportunity of wanting to create something that looks like stunning, you know, something that's kind of like really, really high quality versus um, just like pure basic visualization or architectural visualization, which mostly just focuses on like the architecture itself, not worrying about the quality. So I decided, you know, uh, I could apply my skills and some of my team skills to that kind of market using uh, Unreal Engine instead of just Unity, which Unity is amazing. I've used Unity for many years, um, and I love it, and I, I still use it, I'm sure. But uh, Unreal is kind of the, you know, top quality in graphics. I mean, then there's Crytek or the CryEngine, mm-hmm. but that's more for outdoor stuff. Unreal is really good for indoor, which is kind of what we wanted to do for architectural visualization. Yeah, I really enjoy Unreal Engine 4, and I don't. Every time I, I th- every time, for example, Unity just dropped this announcement announcement where it's going to be free. Unity 4 and 5 is going to be free, and it's going to have Oculus support native uh, out of the box. And I find that extremely, extremely enticing, but. Unreal Engine 4, so far, for, for a beginner like me, and, and, and the UI is just so easy to use. And it's so, I don't know, there's something about it that I that I just really find myself at home with. That I feel like uh, maybe it's the blueprints that they've been incorporating, but... Yeah, uh, I love the blueprint system. It's so quick, and it works really well with 
developers and designers because you know the programmers get to work hard in the C++ world and and uh, you know get the efficiency out of that while they can do interfaces for the blueprint developers or designers um, so they can just request you know various like blueprint nodes that they need for their purpose for their game or whatever and it, it works really well mm -hmm. from that manner. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a total noob with Unreal Engine 4, and I'm really excited to learn more come hackathon time. But before I get there, let me try to take the side of a client and, and see if you can sell it to me, your, the, the architectural visualization advantages of virtual reality. So, how, so, so what does being able to immerse yourself in VR provide me that I could get from, you know, the legacy sort of paradigms that are currently out there you know what is it about vr that gives it an advantage in architectural visualization over anything else that's already out there so i mean obviously being immersed in that environment and having the ability to look around at different angles and like and because of the quality that you get from the unreal engine with the lighting um it makes it much more like i guess realistic which is kind of what we're trying to go for so um, and Unreal specifically focused, the reason we mainly chose change over to Unreal was because of the lighting. Because we wanted the people to feel like they're there in their home. So like one of the markets we're kind of going after is um, developments and like commercial developments and, and condos, luxury condos. So some of our clients, for example, are going to be like moving across the world to places that they might have never seen before. And... Um, you know, like if you're going to do something like that, you're going to want to know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. And while, you know, you can see the basic quality of the engine, I mean, uh, of uh, of like where you're going to move into with uh, Unity and other engines, it just doesn't get the lighting always right. Um, and that can actually make a huge difference on a, like a purchasing decision um, on some of these places. Because, you know, if it might, it might look good like with uh, you know, the furniture layout and, like, the basic textures. But honestly, like, it's a, a lot of the lighting for me is what sells it. You know, like, if the, you have good lighting coming in through the windows, you know, like, what kind of materials you have on the countertops, which have, like, nice reflections and things like that, um, that you couldn't usually get with other engines. And as to... Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of what we're going for is that... That, oh yeah, so related to virtual reality, I mean that just takes it obviously to the next level. You know, you could you can like look and tilt around furniture, to, you know, just peeking around corners and things, and just feeling like it's more natural. Yeah, it just makes it that much more of a sell. You know, definitely, First. definitely. And sorry to interrupt, but but it would also I. What I also imagine is this: you know, if you are able, if you're able to recreate, so a the mock-up of a luxury condo that's going up in downtown SF right now, and you are able to go through it room to room, to room and you can look out those windows and and you can simulate what San Francisco would look like from that window and in VR I, I would feel like that would be a quite stunning view to to be able to witness or to check out the, the city's just exploding in construction and you see those buildings that are going up and uh, I feel like it'd be it'd be really useful to be able to like visualize what it'd be what your what kind of view you're paying for you know, right before you even get into it 
but you obviously you, what you guys are depending on is the spread of the HMD so, so that people can actually experience these things in VR I mean what other options are there aside from experiencing these things in in VR uh, are, are people... yeah. so most of the stuff out there is renders um, uh, and there is some basic interactive experiences and I want to mention that well you know virtual reality is definitely the future uh, for what we'd love to focus on it's obviously not there yet uh, with you know being that there's not really any consumer versions yet but so uh, we can actually just do a standalone version right now uh, where we basically just either you could download it from our website or we do uh, provide you with like a copy uh, through like a USB just because the, the file sizes are pretty large right now. So it depends on the client and their technical ability and like what they want to wait for. Like we also will have booths set up in uh, brokerage offices and like real estate offices. So like they'll be in presentation centers. Um, so it's definitely not just limited to virtual reality. That's just like the, you know, the future of where things will go. I, want, I wanted to mention too, one of the other advantages we have is we're kind of going for more interaction rather than just walking around. Hmm. So for example, you'll be able to change things like materials on walls and textures, like on, you know, countertops and also things like placing furniture. So, you know, like if you're in virtual reality, you could like, we don't have this feature yet, but it's definitely going to be there where you could like pick up your couch and move it around, you know, um, and place countertops at different locations and things like that. And then what we're ideally willing, wanting to do <clears throat> is like we would take the, the, the setup that the person created and then give it to people, you know, building out the condo and then they could like walk into the condo in real life and it's exactly like it is that they kind of customized and created in the virtual world. That's really cool where you're, uh, one, the, the idea of using this at, with special booths at real estate offices and, and demos, that's a really cool uh, thing that I didn't think about. And I think, I think it'll be a very powerful experience for those people who aren't really involved in this community. I, I think it'll be really cool. The other thing I was going to ask you, and, it, and you sort of answered it already, um, you know, you are not the first people to be doing architectural visualizations or consulting in VR. There's people all over the world doing this. And my question is, you know, as this goes on, this uh, marketplace is starting to sprout out. Like, how do you? You are in the busy place, I hear. Uh, how do you differentiate yourself, uh, yourselves from? the other people who are also doing architectural visualization or, or who will be also be doing architectural visualization and consulting and you know you know what I mean like how do you yeah 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 I mean what's what puts us apart from the competition sure um, I mean <clears throat> the, uh, the ability to use the Unreal Engine <clears throat> is a large part of our uh, our focus and our kind of competitive edge like there is studios that are utilizing the engine but most of these guys um, are coming from a background of just understanding the technology of visualization, like visualizing architecture. And our edge is really coming from a game programming background because uh, we really have a solid understanding of like how to really immerse users because you know gaming is basically about how to make the player feel as comfortable as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So we 
kind of focus more on, you know, uh, better UI and just kind of the best experience possible is what we're kind of trying to go for. Um, and also there's certain interactive elements like placing furniture and moving things around that uh, not many other, uh, I guess, firms have. Hmm. So, so mostly I'd say the quality of graphics, the kind of interactivity um, is just uh, higher in that there's more you can do. And um, like the lighting is a large part to go further into detail of the quality, like lighting is really important to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that's kind of, I think, our edge. Very cool. Do you happen to have, and I mean to put you on the spot here, but do you happen to have any demonstrations of your work out there that people can check out? Uh... We have something internally. Okay. Uh, we're, we, we do, but it's not out for showing yet. Okay. Uh, only specific clients, but soon it will be public. Uh, we're putting together a whole new website and uh, and rebranding uh, the company with some uh, with some other people that I'm going to be working with on marketing it, um, who are very familiar with the you know market of real estate and visualization. So that will nice. happen within the next, I'd say, two months. Very nice. Is it? Are you are you able to keep up with the pace? Uh, I feel like it's getting faster. <laughs> like it's not slowing down, and it's harder to uh, keep up than ever. And I only think, and I and I really think it's gonna only accelerate. So how are you able to? I mean, how 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 do you, how do you feel it? Do you feel like it's happening faster than ever before? Do you feel like it's? Are you able to keep up? Like, what are your? How do you? How do you keep up? <laughs> I mean, it's all really about learning, you know, and like, and your team. Yeah. Um, so like the guys that I work with are just really amazing um, and they are just really smart <laughs> and, you know, uh, I can't even keep up with them, but they just do a great job. And I think that's kind of what puts you at the edge is like working with people that can change and adapt to newer technologies as they come out and then start utilizing them, like basically utilizing either the best tools or if they're not available, then making them yourself. Yeah. So that's kind of like how we're keeping ahead, I guess, is just knowing the best things out there and applying them, you know, and then I'm kind of more of the business kind of side of things. Uh, I do development, but these days I'm doing more business stuff than, than development. Yeah. What's your what, – let me ask you about your background. Where did you – where did you come from? How how did you wind up in this neck of the woods? Uh, what what's your story with discovering VR or had you when did you discover VR? Give me the quick and skinny or give me the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so my background is in game programming. Um, I've pretty much always been involved in games in some way. Um, I was just a, a really hardcore gamer growing up always just, you know, staying inside and <laughs> playing games when I probably should be, like, outside playing, you know, but uh, I'd be kind of in my cave, and uh, and that kind of spawned into being that I loved it so much that I decided, well, uh, you know, I could make money programming uh, games, and I decided programming over other aspects of game development just because, I mean, first of all, it, you know, makes more money. <laughs> And, uh, and I really liked getting into the technical side of things. I started learning how to program when I was like, I don't know, I think I was like 12-ish, 
I started learning DirectX and trying to do some big, like very low level graphics stuff. Mm. Um, I found like some tutorials online and started learning that way. But then I went to school and uh, did a game programming degree, uh, game programming software engineering at the University of Advancing Technology. Mm-hmm. And um, out there, you know, I learned a lot, obviously, in the games field, like learned C++ and messed with a few game engines. And um, and one of my roommates, who also happens to be one of my roommates today still from college, and we're really good friends, uh, we would always just kind of talk about the future of where technology is going. We'd be like, just like come up with ideas for games for when like augmented reality comes out and, and virtual reality. And, you know, we kind of, we're both just really excited about this kind of technology. Uh, my, the, my roommate actually, you might even have heard about, which, uh, or maybe even met, but his name's Randy. He made uh, Zelda VR. Yeah. 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 Randy. Yeah, of course. And Zelda VR. Uh, that's a, uh, that's a big one for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we've kind of always been just really excited about this kind of stuff. We messed around with some augmented reality things in college. And, um, and then, you know, obviously when the, uh, uh, the Oculus Rift came out on Kickstarter and everything, you know, that was like, I instantly just bought it up. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is, you know, this is the most exciting thing to ever happen in my lifetime. <laughs> so then I just started, you know, like zeroing in on how I can utilize the Oculus. Um, I also have been dealing with 3D scanning. That's kind of another area that I've focused on. Um, I remember having an epiphany when I was really young. I was like probably like six or something or maybe younger. And I remember like like for some reason I just remember this very specifically, but I remember standing outside um, on my parents' like porch or whatever, uh, and then just have, like thinking, you know, I want to have a virtual world that I can live in. Like it, it simulates the real world, <laughs> mm. and it's gonna happen. I'm just like, I know this is gonna happen. I was like just a little kid, you know dreaming about it but I was like so I don't remember just why I was so excited about it but I was like this is definitely going to happen I don't know if I had some like like I said it's kind of an epiphany maybe just seeing how fast technology was speeding up even at that time yeah. and how games were coming out and getting better and better I'm just like this is actually going to happen <laughs> um, and it's actually happening and that's why I got excited about 3D scanning was because that's like one of the obvious steps of of turning that into a reality is like you can scan the real world and create virtual content from that. So one of the games I made was uh was Paper Ace, which I don't know if you've played. Um, have you played that? Haven't had the pleasure, uh, but I will look it up. Hey, Paper Ace, what was it about? So Paper Ace is a game we did in collaboration with Matterport. Uh, who makes a 3D scanner that can scan the interiors of your homes or, you know, for developments, for commercial applications, all kind of different applications. But it's mostly used to quickly scan a home um, and interior spaces. And so I used this device and scanned this this location. And the the, the scan we have, actually, we got from Matterport, but we could have easily used our own scans. 
they just happen to have a, a really good one of a big luxury house. And so we decided to use that as the basis for the level for a game we made uh, called Paper Ace, in which you fly a little paper airplane around in the home, right. and you like kind of explore the home, like just floating around and activating animations, like paintings come alive, the stovetop kind of bursts up into flames when you fly over it, hmm. um, like a toaster pops some toast up, and like the faucets shoot water and bubbles start coming out. So little fun things like that. There's a, some kids' rooms where we, you know, kind of animated, like, the wallpaper and, and a, a jack-in-the-box popping out. So just kind of fun stuff to kind of more immerse the, I guess, well, I mean, I used it as a way to make a game because it's, like, really quick development of an environment. I mean, it would take us probably, I don't know, a few weeks if not months, to develop the house to the quality that it was, you know, and it just takes a day to scan a home. Hmm. So we were able to use this scan to, to create this level that we could then use and make this game out of. So then we showed that off at GDC, uh, and we were with Matterport at their booth, and I even got Palmer Lucky in. I was like, he happened to be wandering nearby, and <clears throat> I grabbed him and pulled him over, and he liked it. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Yeah. I need to try it now. Uh, is it on Oculus Share by any chance, or where can people find this this game? I need to get it up there still. Okay. It's online. Um, you can go to paperace.immersio.com. Okay. Or .co, actually. .co. I will put that in the show notes so that people can go out and check out Paper Ace. And it's a DK1 demo, or does it have Rift support? So this one actually isn't Oculus support uh, supported, okay. right? I mean, we have an Oculus Rift version, mm -hmm. but the one on the website is actually just um, in the web. Cool. So you can still play it. It uh, loads up a Unity web player, um, and you can fly around the house and check it out. Very nice. That's exciting, man. That and I and I can. Uh, that's a. And it's. A, I think a, you have a really really interesting uh, coming around to virtual reality uh, or maybe I sense that you've been paying attention to it for a, a while and you've you know ran into the rift and uh, I want to ask you what were your first impressions of DK1, DK2 and, and Crescent Bay like run me through the whole gamut of feelings and, re and your reactions when you first tried those devices. Sure um, so the DK one, I remember getting, and um, the first demo, let's see, I'm trying to remember what the first demo I tried. I think it was, oh yeah, I guess it was just the default demo, which is the, you know, the Tuscany one. Hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, putting it on, and, uh, and you know, me and my friend were sitting, we both got one, uh, chilling, and we tried it on, both of us, and just like, being pretty blown away, you know, like it wasn't like, let me just kind of fast forward to the Crescent Bay versus this one. Like <clears throat> the reaction to the Crescent Bay was definitely more impressive. I mean, than of course the DK one, but, but it was, it was really awesome. And I knew it was coming, but it wasn't like with the Crescent Bay where you just sit there and it's like, wow, you know, this is finally happening. You know, virtual reality is now going to happen. It just verifies it yeah. and confirms that this is coming. And 
And that was the, really the moment that I kind of was blown away because the DK one was just good to see that it's going to get there, but I didn't know for sure, you know, because it's like obviously it needed a lot of work and it was, you know, the resolution wasn't really fully there. Uh, and then the DK2 came out, and it was definitely a drastic improvement. So then I'm like, okay, this is getting much better. And now I can – that at that point, I was, like, pretty um, – what's the word, I guess? Like, kind of realized that it is going to happen. It's just – it still wasn't, you know, it didn't blow me away because I had seen the DK1. It wasn't, like, a huge improvement other than resolution. I mean, there was definitely some traffic improvements, but there was actually a lot of problems with DK2 that I was having when it first came out, mm-hmm. trying to get demos to work and – uh, it was the direct to Rift mode was having issues, but I mean, that aside, like it was still pretty impressive and it confirmed that, you know, they're working on it really hard and, you know, it's going to be there. But then obviously at Oculus Connect, the, the Crescent was just, uh, as everyone mostly says, except for Olivier, he's the one guy that, <laughs> I mean, it's good to have him, you know, criticize it, I think, because everyone's just so blown away mostly, uh, but it just blew me away. <laughs> I yeah. was super excited. You know, when people say virtual reality is finally here uh, and it's gonna and, and it's gonna happen, what, what do you mean? Uh, you specifically, what do you mean by that? What is first of all, like, what? How do you define virtual reality? And and when you when you say it's finally coming, like, what what is coming? And what do you think that's gonna look like when it does? Um, I mean, it's it's gonna start with gaming. But it's so immersive, you know, like my company's name, Immersio, can kind of show like what I'm focused on and how excited I am about immersiveness. That's a huge thing of what I'm, I want to focus on within no matter what I do is trying to create something that feels good, you know. And so obviously virtual reality is the most immersive thing you can practically get. I mean, I've done, I've used, you know, the Z-Space, which is a holographic interface, and before this, the Oculus, that was, like, the most immersive thing I've ever experienced, because it's like a, uh, you know, a hologram, and it still is probably, in some ways, definitely more immersive, because you're still in reality, you know, so you still can look around, and uh, even though you have to wear glasses, and it's a one-on-one experience, it's, it's really impressive, but Virtual reality, you know, can connect you in a different way to virtual content. Like, you are you are the character, which just is just amazing, you know? You can, you can practically see through other people's eyes, and, like, that kind of, that, the head tracking and everything just makes you feel like you're there. And that's what is the, uh, you know, like, epicenter of immersiveness, yeah. is feeling you're somewhere else, you know? Feeling different experiences that you couldn't get in reality. Um, and there's nothing better than virtual reality. So being, so I guess to say that it's here, like what, it, what it's going to look like, I just imagine, you know, kids just chilling in their home, playing virtual reality and like getting addicted to it. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I can imagine kids are just, it's going to be weird, you know, cause we'll have like the goggle eyes. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll know, and see kids they'll like have it imprinted on their face yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but and then i'm really excited though also about the professional side of things like for you know the one thing i remember hearing at one of the svbr conferences uh, talk by this one guy i can't remember his name or the company unfortunately but i remember one thing one specific statistic which was like 
you can negate 70% of pain from being in a virtual game. And they're like talking about how um, this guy who had been in like a, a battle and got really heavily wounded was in pain all the time almost. Yeah. And they used virtual reality to distract him from the pain. And it's like more than pain pain that relievers could do. I mean, painkillers might totally you know, negate the pain, but it's not really the best thing for your body. You can get addicted and things like that. So virtual reality is amazing for that purpose alone. I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that can, you know, people in hospitals. Um, and then, you know, there's so many different applications. Just the immersiveness and the way it takes you away from reality is, is you know, it's it's anything in reality but improved, yeah. <laughs> basically. It, the, I think that the thing that excites me just as much if not more than what I've already witnessed is the uh, is just the idea that like the masses haven't really had a chance to play with this platform yet and I'm extremely excited for what people will be able to come up with in terms of applications I you've mentioned Howard Rose he's the creator of this uh, virtual reality application where you can actually treat burn wounds um, I don't mean to plug myself too much but uh, you can check out that episode of the podcast I think it's episode 9 with Howard Rose and it's uh, truly truly fascinating you can you can treat people for with burn wounds without the need of drugs or any sort of invasive uh, procedure that's extremely powerful extremely powerful especially in a society where we have an overabundance of and I think it's been called an epidemic don't don't try to quote me on that but I think it's like an, an epidemic of people abusing over-the-counter uh, prescription meds um, so and VR could easily be a thing that if were if it were widely adopted, you could perhaps have a impact on 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 that uh, issue going on. It's it's crazy just thinking about all the different applications. I want to talk about uh, development a little bit. Um, and when so you so and the VR hackathon obviously is happening October seventeenth through the nineteenth, I believe. Correct. Yes, and who are you? Who are you guys reaching out to? I mean, what kind of crowd? What kind of what sort of people are you trying to bring over to to the table to and come uh, come hang out and 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 create stuff? Sure. Uh, really quickly before I jump into it, I want to mention that you know uh, while I'm definitely helping them out and like helping organize parts of the event, I want to really shout out to Damon and Michael who are really the the main organizers behind the event. Um, and, and they, those guys are the guys that really pushed it. And I was planning my own hackathon, but you know, I was just overwhelmed to, it was too ambitious at the time. Um, but these guys made this happen and it's going to be at a really cool new location with, uh, with gray area and they've helped us too. Uh, and also leap motion have done a huge amount of work to, to help us, uh, kind of move this forward. But anyway, um, back to your question. So we all kind of want to open it up while it's while it is virtual reality. We just want to, you know, there's so many startups, all this technology coming out around virtual reality, and um, basically, I, you know, I wanted to get these guys together and let people connect the dots. You know, there's like use the technologies together for people that don't have access to that technology. Um, and some of the, and uh, hackathons are a great way to 
kind of introduce new technology that might not be out yet. It's kind of like a deadline, you know, for some of these startups even just to to, to let people play with it where they usually would, would be kind of hold it back, you know, because they don't feel it's ready yet or like there's all different reasons, but they, they will usually let it open to hackathons because they understand hackers are, you know, they, they can see even if it's not working perfectly that they can still hack with it and mess with it and they're not going to be like, you know, announcing to the world that it's not ready yet or there's problems with it or whatever. They might mention it, but it's, but, you know, they understand that things are still being developed. And so, so this, so hackathons give you a place to just in a really energized environment to work together with other people who are just as energized and get shit done like really fast. It's pretty mind blowing what you can do in 48 hours. Um, when everyone's at the peak of their energy, you know, like I've experienced it and I've utilized it. Like we actually did paper ace in basically four days because of, we did it in a hackathon manner. Um, and I mean, it took a week overall, but that was mostly just art, but it was amazing what we pulled off in that short time frame. And it's all because like everyone's just so pumped, you know, hackathons are just this kind of, almost surreal magical place where everyone's like just working their ass off and if you have all the technology there that you can just tap into you know the crazy things are going to come out whether it's a game or an augmented reality experience it's not just for virtual reality keep that in mind uh you know we're, we're also focusing on various web technologies if you want to do an augmented reality thing then go for it if you don't even want to do anything in virtual reality or augmented you can still do whatever you want. You know, that's one thing with hackathons. Like, hackers will do what they want, and we're totally going to, you know, promote that and say, go for it. What are what sort of t- – so this is going to be my first hackathon ever. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm super excited to, to be able to be a part of it. Um, but I have no clue what to expect, how to prepare. Do you have any tips for someone like me who wants to just uh, – so, and here's the thing. I'm, I want to build a VR mech game. Uh, uh, that's my goal. I started already in Unreal Engine 4 developing or developing, putting together a level so that we can drop down a robot and start smashing shit. But aside from that, like, you know, what sorts of tips in general, just advice do you have for someone, uh, you know, who wants to come to this hackathon and maybe it'll be their first time or don't have that much experience? Um, I guess there's not much to say. Like, it's really something that you, you can't really prepare for other than like maybe bring a pillow and a sleeping bag. <laughs> um, cause you'll probably, you know, potentially be working nonstop and maybe it'd be good to get like an hour of rest or something, or you could go home of course. Um, but some people might, you know, if you live a little bit farther, you'll just, it'd be good to crash there. Uh, so be prepared to, for a long, you know, haul and bring water and, but we'll have, you know, you taken care of for all that stuff. You shouldn't have to worry about that. But the only thing I could say is probably just bring a pillow and get ready to have a ton of fun. You know, like there might be like little battles later on when you get near the end because everyone's like super exhausted. <laughs> and so everyone's at their wits end. But usually almost every time I've ever seen any hackathons, like it kind of depends on the, what the goal is for the hackathon. Like there's hackathons and then there's things like the game jam. And I want to run this more like a game jam, which is, there's this thing called the Global Game Jam. Um, do you know what that is? Yep, I've heard of it. So it's it's basically a hackathon, but it's 
more like they just call it a game jam and it's for games obviously um and there's a lot of artists musicians you know 3d modelers all kinds of different things designers and they team everyone up in the beginning you kind of team up based on uh your skills like they the last one i went to actually they, they had you make little hats that you like with crafted and then you had to put like an icon on the front of it to show what your skill was and then you would like kind of just team up with random people uh to make a team with all the right you know skill sets and then just start designing things uh, like the, there's usually a designer you know in the group and he would be you know obviously the focus of making a good design for a game um and so it's going to be kind of the the same same thing here i want to like go for that kind of atmosphere not just hacking because hacking hackathons can get a little bit more intense and competitive than game jams because usually there's either more money involved or there's or like only developers are kind of competing um and and generally it's it's gonna be a fun atmosphere though so so there's not much i could say to prepare you other than just like be prepared to have fun you know there's there's not much you need to bring or do yeah. you know it's it's going to be an obvious format when you get there like you know basically it's all on the site but there's going to be a meetup ahead of time first that's not going to be related to the hackathon and then basically what you do is you go up and uh, pitch your idea people have some time to hang out and talk with the people you know the different hackers and, and developers and artists everyone and then you go up and pitch what you want to do and people will come up and and basically either they'll just say you know they want to do this idea write down their name on the the pitch or like talk to the guy who's doing the pitch and that's just kind of how how uh people filter into groups very cool uh so i'm trying to get a head start uh and i'm sorry anyone who thinks i'm cheating because i'm using this podcast to get a head start but if you're a ue4 developer and want to create a vr mech game with me uh please hit me up <laughs> so shameless uh <laughs> but uh, so uh, pitching in like for example in, in a game like what are what are what is the bare minimum in terms of roles that you need to create a, a game specifically designed for vr so do you need always a sound guy do you always need a designer do you always need a programmer what are your takes on that and i know it's an, a very basic question but i'm going to ask you all sorts of questions just so you know sure um i mean the base need it depends on what kind of game you're doing i guess um like you can do a lot just as an artist or designer uh with certain engines out there they're not going to create like the most elaborate game you know there's very few 3d engines that are really easy but you can do it like there's kids i know that have used this thing called um i mean obviously there's minecraft where kids kind of make their own world of sorts and then there's like uh something called roblox where kids are like 15ish and still making like 20 40,000 a year making games at like really young age and they're just using a super basic engine wow so you know there's a lot you can do with the basic engines you're probably not going to get a lot done but you could technically make a fun level probably in 48 hours with Roblox for example without having any programmers or artists you know um so it depends but if you want you know something solid then you know you're going to need a, a programmer because that's what they focus on you know they want their skills to be utilized and they want to make something fun too so if you're a programmer or a designer then you could technically do all of it yourself 
you know, there's some games out there that are made by like two teams of programmers, like or two, a whole game with two people, hmm. with who are both programmers, and they just made, you know, cool art through their uh, graphics programming ability, or they made the game around their game play. Like they they just this one I've been playing, pretty addicted to called um, what's it called actually? Just a second, look it up. Smash Hit. Hmm. It's like this app on the iPhone that I've been really liking. And the company Mediocre is like three people, I think, and two people mainly, I think, do all the, most of the work. Hmm. Um, and they made a really good game that you're like smashing blocks around. And it's like totally addictive. Um, but yeah, artists then just add, you know, the quality of graphics. And that's, you know, they know what, what people want to. They, they have you know, in mind a style and everything. And, and, uh, that just adds to the quality of the game. So what it comes down to is like, you know, you'll want a designer to make a fun game. Uh, you'll want a programmer to make the core gameplay and like make it work out, you know, put everything together. And then the artist basically augments it. So if you have the, those three elements, um, you can kind of cheat with the music. Hmm. Um, you can, you know, you can uh, download libraries or just play things off of SoundCloud or whatever, as long as you have a, a good ear for what sounds, you know, what would fit with your game. Um, but then a, an, a, I'd say a musician would augment it further. And you can make a sound-based game, you know, especially in virtual reality, like they've been saying during the conference, you know, presence, to, you have to have, a, like, that's why they added the headphones, you know, you have to to add that to make it really immersive and so again sound will just be another augmentation to the game hmm. um, so if you have a musician it's just going to make it that much better um like a lot of people i don't have sound right now in, in paper ace and a lot of people have mentioned that you know like they'd love to see like some sound effects of like you know um like the jack and box bursting have like a fun sound effect or something and like the music just to so it definitely makes it more immersive, but yeah. Very cool. Let, let me ask you, I, I want to delve a little deeper into all of this because uh, I'm extremely, extremely interested. Um, so walk me through, and I, I, I hope we're not getting too repetitive, but walk me through perhaps uh, more in detail how, so you have the four horsemen, you got the designer, you got the programmer, you got the artist and the sound guy. Um, can you walk me through like their their specific roles and perhaps in your mind like what are the pros and cons to being that specific role? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. So you know the designer is a lot of times ends up sometimes it depends, but in this kind of a small short term situation, is kind of of sorts also a people person ish slash ish i mean like in the sense that they're, they don't necessarily have to be but they're gonna probably end up being a little bit of a manager too um because it's kind of their vision and to make that vision a reality you kind of have to get people excited about your game and like motivated and get you know some some general direction down on like how things are going to be developed you know the, the the process like the work but let's say like for example like paper ace you know like um I had this vision that I actually had thought about a long time ago was a paper airplane game. And, uh, and to make that happen, um, you know, I had to get 
everyone excited about it and like and you know plan out like how to work it out with Matterport and collaborate with them and and get everyone uh you know lined up in in such like the tasks you know I put everything together in Asana hmm. which is kind of a task a workflow uh slash time management kind of online app um and so then you know I listed out all the tasks for everyone to do to make it a reality like build the ship you know make the character um put like I had a list of different like props in the game kind of the the basic flow of the game like how the character you know goes from room to room and like what what kind of um I guess obstacles there would be to, and challenges hmm. to make it you know into a game rather than just an experience um and so you're kind of a manager and a designer a lot of times in in uh it doesn't have to be you necessarily like someone else could take up the management if they see the vision and you explain it well enough mm-hmm. you know like sometimes like a programmer will if they're really you know if they've been in a lot of projects then they'll probably you know they'll have their own work and then they need and talk with the with the designer but that's a lot of times how it turns out so you'll write up the concept or explain it to people and then just kind of go around to everyone make sure they're doing what you're you know what goes in with your vision um, and it's a lot about just communication basically so that's kind of the designer's role um, sometimes it's not you know always fun like you have to just you kind of pick up any slack a lot of times the designer too because sometimes like once you have the vision down everyone knows what to do they didn't just go off and do everything so if there's anything that would help the programmer like either gameplay code if you can code a little bit um or like doing some basic art with the artist you know anything that's repetitive or something you'll you'll kind of pick up slack a lot of times mm-hmm. um so those are kind of the downsides i guess sometimes um definitely sounds like more of a generalist sort of um uh, how do you say uh, role? Uh, I feel like you're you're wearing a lot of hats, um, but but with a specific sort of goal in mind, right? Yep, exactly. Cool. Um, and that's kind of what ends up happening because it's such a short time frame. You don't have time to like write out a whole design doc and like honestly, you don't really need that. You know, um, like if you can communicate the vision enough and get everyone motivated, then it, you don't have to write much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the designer. Do you have any questions around that? What? How do you? What's a? What makes a good design doc good? Um, it's very thorough, like all the way down to how many pixels something is, you know, to the left, or you know, things like that. Oh, like wow. literally down to that grain, you know, uh, makes a huge difference because it's usually not going to happen like that, but. Because, uh, you know, things change, but then once something's solid and, you know, and everyone's confirmed it and, it's and you know, this is definitely going to happen this way, then you have to get down to that level because you're going to have to communicate it some way. And it's better to have a doc, like, if you're just really good, you know, with writing it out, then you don't have to be, in like, at the programmer's side explaining every little bit, you know, because you can just see it in the doc. Um, or else you could be a little bit more flexible and say, you know, if they're an okay designer, like as a programmer too, they can just figure it out. And you can say like, you know, put this kind of the element here, you know, and they'll figure it out, you know. But the more thorough you are, the better, uh, because that means just you just have to 
because programmers are good at just taking instructions. You know, that's what programming is all about is just you know, writing out instructions. So if they have really good instructions, they can just move that much faster um, and make your vision a reality. So, so, you know, but for this stuff, for a game jam, you don't have time to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just kind of more about just communicating the, the, the rough vision and like, you know, that's kind of what it's more about. Cool. Like if you're making your mech game, you, you know, you just say, I want this cool mech and let the artist do whatever he wants. And you just say like, I want these guns, you know, or whatever, or this style, you know, more metallic or, or cartoony or whatever, as long as you give them the general direction, um. uh, they can have fun because people like having fun, you know, like about obviously, but, um, <laughs> uh, but a lot of people, don't like being told what to do down to the specific level. Hmm. It depends on each person. So you kind of have to judge that too um, and decide like how much you want to micromanage them versus how much you just want to let them do their own thing. And a lot of times that will be better, you know, like if they can have their own creative input on the mech, for example, they might create it much more awesome, even if it's not perfect in vision, but they have a lot more freedom and, you know, they have a lot more time to think about that while you can focus on other things. Hmm. So very cool. Yep. What about so let's let's run through the programmer. What are what are his specific roles? And I know you've already touched a, a little bit on on him, but what are the, what are also the pros and cons of being the programmer and the artist and the sound guy and so forth? Um. So yeah, the programmer is just making everything work, right? Like he's putting all these the art together and uh, and coding the gameplay and. Um, basically making it actually happen, uh, generally, you know? Uh, so they are kind of the glue, I guess, that puts it all together. Um, they're going to be, there's only so far you can go in such a short period of time for, for the hackathon. Do you want me to talk in a general sense on like a, a full company term? Or do you want me to like explain it from the standpoint of at the hackathon, what's going to happen? Uh, l- let's do both because I have the time and the interest. Sure. Um, so, you know, the programmer, let's do from the hackathon first, I guess, is, you know, just is a lot of times going to be kind of doing a little bit of everything also, like everyone's always doing a little of everything generally on a small team, you know, but overall he's going to be focusing, he's going to, you know, tell the, the designer where he's getting too crazy. <laughs> it's usually, it's the programmer. That's the one that has to kind of step back and be the realist, you know, cause they're the ones making the code and, and it's not always easy. Like it's amazing what we can do today compared to like five years or a year ago, even, you know, like it's just getting faster and faster, like you're talking about, but, um, but the, you know, we're still not perfectly there yet where we can just like magically wave our hands and the game comes together automatically. You know, the, the programmer makes the, like, you know, the gameplay and like the proximity things of like, let's say an AI, you know, walk, what's it called? Aggro, you know, like all this little stuff, is all like usually math and they're or like some basic math and code and so you know they're going to be putting all together and telling the the designer okay we can't do that you know we can't do this we can't do that or we could cheat and do this workaround thing that'll look kind of like it you know it's and usually they're kind of the magician you know like that's that's a good way to put it is because they don't always most of it gameplay is all fake you know none of the physics are really real they're all just fake basically like there's we can't, you know, simulate reality yet because of the, you know, the graphics card capabilities and like, uh, and things like that. But 
that's why they're kind of magicians and that they can they're faking it all it looks real but it's not so hmm. um so yeah they're kind of i guess the realist on the project making you know the art come into the game and, and placing it in the scene a lot of times this is depending on the engine you're using you know like if you have unity or, or you know a game engine then the designer can do a lot of the a lot of gameplay too um but the coder coder will give them tools based on the game so they're also a lot of times you know the, the tool provider such that let's say you know the coder is placing i don't know like for paper ace or like let's do like the mech you know like you want a certain weapon type or you want certain enemies you know so you know you don't want to like program each enemy from the ground up every time obviously so you'll you know he'll code out what's called like a prefab in unity which is a you know a, a set of different i guess what's the right way to put it it's a package hmm. and then you can just place it in the scene at different spots like the the mechs once you build out one enemy you can copy and paste and then he'll just give that to the designer after he makes the mech and all the functions of that that mech or that enemy like the gun fire like how fast he moves you know uh how he looks when he moves things like that and then the designer can take it and just place it in the world uh to make it a, a fun experience you know hiding the enemies in cool spots or whatever hmm. uh so yeah i guess uh, let's see what's the so that gives you a lot of power yeah um, if you're a good designer and a game programmer I mean you can do everything basically I mean to make you don't even need anyone else technically it's gonna take forever <laughs> but you could feasibly create everything yourself it always comes down to usually needing a programmer like engines are getting better so that's becoming less of a thing um, but we still pretty much need programmers to make a full game hmm. um, then there's so the, let's see the downsides for the hackathon standpoint um let's see i mean i don't know necessarily if there are downsides if the person loves programming you know that's what they're into they found that path and that's what they kind of want to do and so this is really the best place on earth to be able to utilize your skills because mm. it's such a fast-paced environment and hacking at that speed with the engines is just really really fun and usually you have a lot more creative feedback uh, and input into the game than usual uh, so i guess outside a hackathon you usually don't have as much creative feedback as you as you might want uh, in a lot of cases which you know depends again on the person some people just want to program and get paid and do, you know, and like they'll have fun just programming. It's a challenge in itself and it's fun just to, you know, depending, you know, like they'll just like that. Um, but you don't usually get as much feedback in a big company, you know, like you have the designer, that's all they're going to do. And designing can be a lot of fun and a lot of programmers can be like, oh, I wish I could, you know, I could do this better, blah, 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 but they usually don't have a choice. Hmm. So the hackathon gives them a lot more freedom for sure, which is exciting. And then usually they have access to artists, which... Um, and a lot of times, like hackers, you know, they pr prefer to have better art, you know, and not have to worry about making the art. Um, and they just don't even understand the art sometimes, you know, they might have that creative thought or mind, you know, so then, so hackathons are a great way to, to be able to get your vision across as a programmer and designer and then have artists and everyone there, you know, at your fingertips. So, um, so that's kind of like broad, I know, but cool. 
Does that answer your question? Very well, uh, and very much so, actually. Um, we could. I, I feel like the artist and the sound guy are pretty self-explanatory, so we'll move on to my next question, which is, how do you put together a hackathon? What are what what do you what do you need? Um, and how is putting together, for example, a VR hackathon any different than if is it any different than putting together a you know a, your standard hackathon? Not really. I mean, it's just the theme. Mm. You know, like it really is the same thing as any other hackathon, but we you know we made it themed around VR because that's what we're all excited about. So it's it doesn't really matter. You know. Uh, but, you know, you could theme it up over AR, you could theme it over healthcare. It's just VR is super exciting right now, and we all love it. And, you know, um, but, but yeah, putting on a hackathon is definitely, you know, pretty difficult. Um, it's probably easier than a lot of other event types in mm -hmm. some ways, because um, I'd say, well, let's see, what, what would I compare it to? Let's say compared to, like, a conference um, is a way more work. Uh, the main reason behind that is conference has a lot more to it. Like there's talks and you have to have a lot more people. There's like a lot more promotion and there's a lot of sides to it. You know, you have the talks, you have the presentations, you have the trade show, uh, you have to you know, figure out what, what cost the show should be. You know, you have to get all your sponsors. I mean, you have a lot of that in a hackathon on a smaller scale, but hackathons are a lot easier in the sense that generally hackers and developers and people making stuff, they don't really care about, you know, what's going on around them in a lot of ways once you get hacking. You know, like it's important to have at least a basic good atmosphere. You know, that's that's I, I especially appreciate a really good atmosphere, you know, like hmm. like I love doing visuals for shows like I do interactive visuals like with the connect and people can come up and dance this photo projector. And I love kind of stuff like that and projection mapping. But once you get into that hacker mode. You could be, like, in a dumpster, you know? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Like, you're totally in the virtual realm of your mind. You know, you're only, you're just focused at your peak. And and so once, so in other words, like, if it was, you know, the, the location's kind of important, but hackathons are easier in that, you know, you just don't need to care as much. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's somewhat good. Like, I've seen some hackathons, or at least one where, you know, it was, a, it was just a basic, like they had just basic cafeteria tables and basic chairs and, and uh, it was really basic, you know, but it still was really, really awesome. And some amazing things still came out of it. Wow. So that makes it a little easier. Um, but overall, like, it's still a lot of work depending on how many people you want to show up. Like basically the, the most expensive thing and the most difficult thing is first finding the spot. Um, so, you know, that is the first thing you have to do. I mean, other than the vision, you know, you have to have the vision there first, like what you want to do, the theme and like, but then after that, and after you're like, get excited about something and you, you know, then you have to have, you have to find a space to do it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, San Francisco is the most, you know, expensive place on earth practically. <laughs> So, you know, a city is a different atmosphere than if you were in a smaller town. Like, people are, you know, fighting each other, and there's, you know, they have to pay their rent, and blah, 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 blah. There's so much shit. So it's not as easy to find a place, because uh, it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, 
so it took us a while we had a lot of you know we we had some ups and downs i actually helped a lot in that that part of it i was actually the one who found gray area um and knew like of their new space and i kind of put that part of it together so um that took a lot of work though you know fought, we had to call a bunch of people and try to negotiate price and and see who's willing to do it for free or <laughs> or who's not or who's going to charge a ton you know there's like there's so many angles you can take but finding it first is tough and then you have to negotiate the price and then you have to make you make sure you can pay that you know uh which is a whole different next section um but yeah it starts with that very nice. Because this piece. Yeah, I, I got to commend you, you and and Damon and Mike, uh, on the work that you're that you've been putting together. I'm I'm extremely excited, and I I can't wait. I think what you're doing is definitely historical. <laughs> I think it's gonna be so cool. Um, and I can't wait. Uh, do you do you have any sets of tools? slash resources that you go to every time uh, that you're at a hackathon? Uh, I, I know you mentioned sauna, for example, um, but what sorts of it, it could, tools do you use on the regular to get shit done? Um, I'd say, honestly, at a hackathon, you don't really have time to mess around with, with any project management tools because it's such a short time frame. You're just literally going to, like, word of mouth and email You know, and not even email because you're just sitting next to each other unless some people leave. Um, but overall, you're just literally because and that's a part of it. Why you can get so much done is because you're just can communicate right next to each other. Get the, you know, get ideas across quickly. So generally, you're just going to have basic stuff like you just pen and paper. You know, you just write out these basic tasks and designs and sketch out some basic scenes or whatever. Um, but all, all almost all of it's word of mouth. Uh If you had more time, then I would suggest things like Asana for a shorter-term project. It's really easy to use, which is why I like it, because so many people on the team, it takes barely any overhead to learn the tool. Mm. Um, it takes maybe, you know, like an hour to get, like, I don't even know, like maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes of messing around a little bit to figure almost all the features out. So... That means it's good because, you know, artists and everyone don't usually want to mess around with the computer that much just to figure things out. Mm -hmm. um, designers and artists are notorious for that <laughs> in a lot of ways. So um, so things that are really easy are great. So Asana is really easy, um, and it still works well for, for setting, you know, or at least putting down the queue of tasks and like their order and the process and then and, and delegating out the tasks to the different people, you know, and having their name on the task so they can see what they have in their list of things left to do, you know, and then they can like kind of figure out how long they have left to do it or whatever. So it's great. Um, then I suggest as a more thorough tool, if you have more time, something called Jira, which is a uh, really good, um, tool for more larger term projects hmm. uh, you could even do you know some very large projects you could build a company off of it or or even you know like who knows you could like you know build an entire battleship all the way down to the finest detail wow you know so it's it's great it has a lot of great tools for for organizing projects and planning things out and 
you know, doing charts of like when things should be done or whatever, you know, all kinds of shit. Very cool. I want to get your thoughts in on the different engines slash platforms to create things for VR. So Unity, Unreal, CryEngine. Um, would you say WebGL is in that race or uh, as well? Um, oh yeah, this is a large part going to be a WebGL based hackathon too, because mm -hmm. it's actually being sponsored by the. Uh, web consortium um and those guys are pushing specifically as a category prize to use some web technologies mm -hmm. um so that's definitely a part of this um they want people to use webgl you know and and it's and it's exciting because it's the web you know the web's been around forever obviously it's it's kind of how everything spread and it is still there you know as the the main technology for spreading the word on things like, you know, or downloading things, whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I can't, this would be something more to talk to Damon and Michael about it, which mm -hmm. I could, I'll definitely talk to them and try to get you uh, an interview with them. Cause that's their specialty. Okay. Cool. Um, they are with Michael is actually, I think he's on the board uh, of the 3d web consortium or web 3d consortium. Wow. So definitely talk to them about that. I'm not really the the expert of WebGL. Okay. My 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 question was sort of geared as to how do you think it's going to play out um, between these different engines going forward into the future? I, I feel like they're constantly trying to one-up each other uh, for developers and people that will create things with them. How, you know, how do you think... Uh, you know, how do you think it'll play out? Do you think that eventually Unreal is going to catch up to Unity in terms of people developing on it? Do you think that Unity is going to stay king king uh, in, in, in the VR industry? Or, you know, how do you think it's going to play out? I know I know this is pure speculation, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this since you've been in it. Sure. Um, I mean, I would say <clears throat> it's Probably each one has its own use, but web has a big future ahead of it. I think that that it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise with JavaScript and and, uh, and JavaScript-based engines because mm -hmm. they're out there. I'm not sure why they're not super popular yet, but you know, there's still a lot of things to be figured out with web, um, and mainly it's really the support of the various browsers um, that is holding it back and like Google and Apple, you know, like with Safari and Microsoft, like they're really, I don't know exactly the reasons behind why I've talked to a few people about this and it seems like really touchy without going to the guys who are running this stuff and really making the big decisions and they're just not putting a very big focus on it. And maybe they are, maybe, maybe I'm just missing something, but I think when that happens, which I think is definitely going to happen when WebGL is supported fully and everything works, that's going to be huge because there's a lot more JavaScript developers out there and it's a lot easier to learn than a lot of other programming languages. So when that catches up and when that gets standardized and supported across all browsers and everything, I think that's going to rocket uh, like 
quickly ahead to one of the to kind of like how it is with flash games you know when there used to be more of them like it, there's just so many of them yeah and i think the game engine with javascript will be able to create more quality games uh, as long as the engine's made pretty well uh so my vision is the future like long term javascript's going to be huge and, and the web right now um it just depends on what you want. Like, I think it's, I think Unreal will probably, at least unless something else comes out, be kind of ahead on the graphics department. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of their focus, you know? Um, so I think that's, they'll kind of always be there. Where uh, Unity is definitely catching up. Um,. But I think they're more focused on, like, the engine calls itself, you know, unification of sorts of, of various technologies. You know, it's, it's a lot of times the first engine supported by new technology, hmm. um, which, and, you know, it works for mobile. Like, a large focus of theirs is mobile. Um, yeah, it's going to be big. Yeah. So... If you want something that's a AAA title, you know, that you need the graphics quality or you're going for that graphics quality, I'd say, you know, you're still probably going to go with Unreal. Unity still has some definite problems with managing assets and, like, on a large-scale project, it's definitely just not made for that very well. Um, it still works, but it's just easier with other engines, like our Unreal, at least, specifically. Hmm. I haven't used much of CryEngine, so I can't say for that one. Yeah. But I guess does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a definitely interesting sort of thing to be able to watch as it unfolds. Uh, one thing that I find it really exciting about WebGL is the uh, fact that you can import or sort of you can use. If you're already an, an Unreal developer, you're already a Unity developer, you can actually port over your work, pre-existing work, through WebGL on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really cool because I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm lazy. <laughs> JavaScript seems like a, a hassle to learn, so I just want to just throw it in there and, and let it happen. I, I'm sure it'll get to a point where it'll just be, it'll be that easy just to, you know, I'll mock something up in Unreal and then... Yeah, I, I'll probably won't even have to use a word of, of uh, a single line of code to throw it on the web. Hopefully, it'll it'll get there soon. Um, yeah, no, it's it is it's it's really cool that way. Um, and yeah, you don't have to know JavaScript, for example. You're right. It's all this mscription engine, which is, I don't, I, that's amazing to me. I have no yeah. idea how they did that. <laughs> Wizardry. Let me ask you about your favorite five favorite video games of all time. Um. Go for it. <laughs> sure. Um, so most recently, League of Legends. Yeah. Um, I was. I mean, I actually stopped playing for like the last year and a half because I got too addicted. <laughs> uh, so I, I had to stop playing. Uh, but that was definitely my favorite. Then StarCraft is my all-time favorite. Hmm. Uh, by far, like it's always been like that's actually really what got me into programming. Hmm. The very first StarCraft, I remember like getting with my friends and just, you know, blown away, and we would just like play nonstop. Um, so yeah, definitely StarCraft 
Uh, Warcraft is great too. World of Warcraft, I played a lot. Uh, so that's a good one. Pretty much any Blizzard game. <laughs> they just do such an amazing job. Uh, let's see. I guess those are three of the big ones. I used to play a ton of Halo, but I haven't played that for like many years, like five years now, four years. So, um, I still love it and everything and I, you know, but it changed over time. It, I think it, it got better and, and then it got worse and things. And then it just was basically a money maker, you know, yeah. and they didn't really focus on the gameplay as much as they used to. Uh, let's see. Um, I love all kinds of D and D based games like, uh, I can't remember the name for some reason, but there's a few recently that were very high graphic quality games that were based on the world of D&D, which can be almost anything necessarily, like technically, technically, but, but yeah, that was kind of the skill system I love, you know, magic, uh, wizardry, all that stuff. I'm really, I love probably most any really good quality RPG game. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say League of Legends and StarCraft are the two big ones that I just totally love. Very cool. I know so Halo, I I, I it's a franchise that I think my favorite thing about that franchise was the music. Um especially the first couple Halos, even up to 3, I remember just that music, that orchestra music feeling so fitting so well with the game. I think it was uh it felt so good to be able to incorporate that sort of, you know, cellos and, um, you know, in, in, in violin sort of stuff in there. I, I actually remember uh, downloading uh, a copy off of, I, I think it was Shazam back in those days, like, and I, and, you know, burning it onto a, a CD, the MP3, and listening to it on the way to high school, like, that was uh, the Halo soundtrack. It was like the most epic thing that you can listen to in the morning on the way to school. It was cool. Um, the I can sense you have a, an affinity for real-time strategy sort of games. How do you think those games are going to play out in VR? Like, is will they? How do? You, is there a way to incorporate them effectively and in, in and also in a fun way, like that sort of you know gameplay style? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> I think one of the games that's never really been done right, and it's really tough, which is why. But there's one game that I that was like the quality that they're the style I'm thinking related to our RTS, and that's this one Warhammer 40k game. I can't remember unfortunately the name, but it was like I think it was like I don't know something about a marine. But the style of game I'm talking about is like doing an RTS, and also zooming into the battle and being one of the characters in the game, like in the fight, mm -hmm. you know, and it's that to me would be like the epic game. And I've actually wanted to create it when there's a few people that have tried, but failed or just didn't get there. Cause I think it's a lot of work to try. It's kind of like multiple games at one, but yeah, but in my imagination, like seeing it from above, like a God, you know, and, and directing your forces and then like for super particular parts of a battle or something where you like gain a benefit like a bonus for flying in like you could become like the superhuman you know and you like are that character all of a sudden you see like this epic battle going on and then you're like standing there 
would just be like so mind blowing. Uh, and then like being like zoom out and using maybe finger, you know, like control VR or something and like picking your pieces up and like, or directing the battle with your hands, like a conductor yeah. would just be like so epic. <laughs> I I can see that vision <laughs> very much so. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, I remember it, it sort of reminds me of Dynasty Warriors, how you can be the one aspect of your vision is reminds me of that Dynasty Warriors, where you can be that one character that is that can turn the tide of the battle by focusing his energy in a specific hot point. And and I think it'd be amazing if you could go into God mode and all of a sudden be the general and try to command you know, things on a macro level, that's, that's a very ambitious sort of game. Do you see yourself making that? Or do you think that it's just a matter of time before something like that comes along? I would love to. I mean, I would, I'm not the best with coming up very specific mechanics for character battles. Like, that's a shit ton of work. Like, to balance a game like that level is, is so much math, you know, and like so much detail that I can't even and like how how guys like you know League of Legends is amazingly detailed you know and that's why it's so huge is because it's it's competitive you know and people can depend on those skill sets and it's it's refined to an amazing level and I mean I'm sure some people would help me but I would love to <laughs> but if not me then I think someone will do it if not like a zooming down to a battlefield style but then just overviewing a field or directing it. Uh, you know, it would be cool just seeing it from above, you know, and, and being able to, like, navigate with your hands, like, pulling the battlefield around to change the angle. Yeah. You know, or, like, doing, a, like, a tabletop game in VR where the, like, that that would be fucking awesome, too. Like, you know, because you have tabletop games that are really fun, but people are just using their imagine for the imagination, you know, for the battles. So yeah. I could totally see, like, picking pieces up and moving them around or, you know, using controller, whatever type of input device. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that would be fun. Looking down at the trees from the level that your character is and seeing if you can hit some enemy, you know. <laughs> um, I remember that one demo where you were looking down in the Crescent Bay on the city from above. Yeah. And that was, that kind of reminded me of what, that would be kind of cool to have a battle in that city, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that would be insane. <laughs> that would be insane. There's so much happening in terms of uh, you, you saw those you saw you see these Crescent Bay demos, and you sort of get a glimpse of what sort of gameplay slash games you can develop out of those demos. So you, the the little paper mache sort of city immediately reminded me of The Sims, and all of a sudden this could you know change how we play The Sims The Sims forever. But just sort of piggybacking on your point of having board games in VR would be insane. So much, you know, I'm going to be like, you know, grandfatherly and be that guy who will say like, I, in my day, I remember when we played Monopoly and we <laughs> used actual physical pieces and you didn't have any of these, you know, fancy smancy animations happening every time you went to jail and you actually, I mean, that would be so cool to have like different animations pop up as uh if, if something happened in the in the board game uh yeah i think i think there's definitely going to be room for that in vr especially because it's such a social experience and vr will make it even more visceral um 
what sorts of games do you think are going to come out of left field? Are you, you know, is there something that people are not paying much attention to, but you think will will be big in terms of game design or games? Well, I mean, I see a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I'm very ambitious and I have a ton of ideas, as we all do, I'm sure. Um, but I, I see things a little bit more from a business standpoint since I've been learning more about it within the last two or three years that I've been running my own business. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of jumped into it from a programming background, so I wasn't necessarily a businessman, but I don't really know what the hell that means even still. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, content, as they all say, is king. And what I want to see is people opening up their games more, you know, like all their content of their games. I mean, it's obviously there's all this proprietary stuff going on and, and you know, there's a level of understanding because you need to make some money. But like, why that, you know, once your game's done and it's been years past, you know, you're basically making almost nothing on it. Like, imagine if everyone could use everyone else's assets and like, just imagine how fast things could get made if you could just share all that. Yeah. I, I think that would just speed up everything in the whole world so much faster. Like, it would just accelerate how things get, like, you know, just even from a science standpoint, you know, if you had all these art assets from science that are just proprietary also, you could better accelerate education, you know. Yeah. Um there is so much you could gain from that. So, you know, open sourcing art hasn't really been a discussed very much, oddly. Um, there's shit tons of art online, but it's all paid, you know. Um, and you, like, basically get paid almost nothing. But I've been kind of trying to brainstorm a way to try to, try to get that more open. Uh, somehow, I don't really know yet whether it's a platform or what, but... I think, like, imagine a Facebook for art, mm -hmm. you know, something that is truly open. Yeah, and that's, amazing. that's a big challenge. I feel like um, a, a lot of artists, 3D artists slash animators are, uh, I think they're, um, their jobs are sort of underestimated or kind of overlooked. And I think the, the development of VR will bring them more to light than ever. Uh I think so too. It's yeah. it's the biggest push for 3D ever in history. So, because you can't do 2D anymore, you literally can't do 2D in a virtual reality. You know, like I mean, in a sense, like you could have 2D planes and shit in virtual reality. That's like in a 3D world, but you just you can't deal with web pages, <laughs> which yeah. are so old. Uh, yeah, yeah, you um, you sound like you're from the future. <laughs> Web pages, um, yeah, no, but I'm with you. I think that the the um, the I think the true way of consuming media is within it. <laughs> like I don't know how to explain that, but I think the web people and businesses will have to develop, you know. The, the the WordPress of virtual reality where you can actually create your own sort of metaverse space, you know, like a, a place where you can pitch yourself, pitch your business um, in, in VR through or through VR. Uh, it's just it's going to be very, very cool. What do you what do you think is going to be the ultimate end game for VR? Are we going to be connected to the machine? Is this the first step to this or where do you think it's going to end up? Um, 
in the long term future, um, I think it's you know like it's kind of cliche or whatever, but I honestly like look at uh, well, there's a lot of sci-fi books, and I think uh, let me think about this for a second. I'm considering the options of like Gibson versus Niels, you know, or versus Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> And I like Star Trek the best, honestly, from the future that they, you know, describe. Um, it, we, you know, the hollow deck. Like, that's kind of my ideal, like, goal. Yeah. Um, like, and I know that's for a bit, for a lot of people. Like, I have been, I've actually planned out projects to try to build, like, a basic hollow deck, like a, you know, a cave system, as they're called. Um, and I still have it something that I, I want to work on with one of this other guy who's been wanting to work with me on it and build it. But anyway, holodecks, I think, are really mind-blowing. I, I still want to be in reality, you know? Like, I don't want to be... I definitely think that virtual reality, just staying static in virtual reality won't be the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I think augmented reality is really the long-term future, mm-hmm. where you can still run around and have fun outside and stuff, but then having, you know, overlays, and, like, monsters appearing in reality, you know, like, in your digital glasses and shit. Um, so I think, you know, connecting to the machine thing is, is, I'm not so sure. Like, I think people still want to run around. Like I was talking to one guy and he's like, you know, I have my family and I have my kids and I want to see my kids like running around and having fun and stuff. And I can't imagine parents getting very excited. Like it's already hard for kids, you know, parents to see their kids when they're like in front of a computer, but I can just imagine it too, like seeing your kid literally like jacked up and his face covered, you know, in this thing <laughs> that it's definitely going to have some major problems uh, there. Yeah. So I think augmented reality is kind of a long-term vision where you're still, you know, in reality, flying around in space. You know, we could be exploring the world and the universe with augmented reality, which will expand, you know, humankind faster than I think if we just chill on Earth and become drones. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what I'm imagining, just putting together the dots off these sci-fi novels and movies. I have a, a quick solution for the uh, parents who will see their kids jacked up on VR. I, I, we should include a spectator mode <laughs> to every game that kids are going to play so that parents can actually see their their kids, you know, from maybe God point of view or from the kids perspective, like what they're seeing in VR and how they're doing in there. And I don't know, it's sort of like when you go watch your kids um, uh, play a soccer game or you go you go to your kids football game, like it kind of be, I, I, I sort of see it like kind of like that. Like you just uh, you, you'd see your kids VR avatar going through you know, Lucky's Tale, sort of, or, or whatever, but it's, uh, I, th- I think what's going to happen, in my opinion, is if you can't beat them, you're going to have to join them, uh, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if, because the experience will be so, so much different than anything else, like, I think your par- your parents, my parents are going to have to put VR, HM- HMDs to uh, keep up with what I'm up to, because, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think the the reality that we're in right now, uh, and don't get me wrong, I like it, 
but I feel like the, it could, we could use some augmenting. We could use I could use some information just floating around me right now, telling me, uh, "Hey, don't forget to start closing things off in the next five minutes." Or, "Hey, um, you know your heart rate is spiking up for some reason. You should probably call a doctor." I don't know things like, uh, you know, it, it, I I think we will we would benefit greatly if we would have. Uh, more information surrounding us, or at least have the choice to have more information surrounding us. Um, but Miss Eric Strauss, you've okay. been a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. I want to uh, just sort of get your closing thoughts on on, on anything that you have uh, hidden inside the crevices of your uh, uh, your mind, um, and and uh, all that good stuff. Any last comments before we start closing things off? Um, I guess. Not really. You scraped my brain pretty good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> how can people stay in touch? How can people follow up what you're up to? And how can people get to this VR hackathon that is happening October 17th through the 19th in San Francisco, California? Yeah. Uh, check it out on VRHackathon.com. Really easy to remember. Cool. Put it in there uh, in your calendar on Google or whatever calendar software you use and, and uh, mark those dates, but yeah, vrhackathon.com. Awesome. Once again, you have been a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Thanks again for your time. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Bam! All right. That was